Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. So have you ever had the chance to see up close magic? You know, that kind of up close magic that, um, well, it's the stuff that won't probably get you a girlfriend when you're in high school. You know the sort that I mean, that kind of stuff that maybe just, yeah. And anyway, you know the type I'm talking about. You know that there's something going on. You know there's something happening, but you know it's a trick and you can't quite put your finger on what's going on, but what you're seeing, you know, isn't really what's going on. Have you ever thought, have you ever felt like when you're talking about Jesus and church and faith and all things spiritual that you're kind of getting that vibe from the people that you talk to? Like, eh, I know what you're saying, but I'm not sure that you're actually being legit with me. I've um, had the chance kind of over the last little while, not so much while we've been in isolation, but definitely over the last few years to have the chance to talk to and build relationships with a bunch of guys who have very little to absolutely no church contact, but we just love to play board games together. And it's really fun and it's relaxed. And I'm really open about me and my faith and my job and my role. And we talk about all sorts of things. And just recently got the chance to actually just spend some time without any of the games and without any of the distractions just to talk and share life with some of the guys and, and tell some of the stories of what Jesus has done in my life that might maybe help them. But you know, even then, some of them, they're just, you can tell they're just skeptical. They're just like, I don't know if this faith thing's actually what it's all, all about. I don't know if it's all that you crack it up to be. And I think it becomes something that we really have to be aware of as we learn to declare and demonstrate the goodness of Jesus and the good news of God. Are we authentic about it? Are we sharing God out of our own encounter with God or is it something that we feel like we're supposed to do? Is it a bit of a sleight of hand, a bait and switch? Is it a bit of up close magic that may be impressive for a moment, but it's not going to build anything? Today we're going to start in a Bible verse that I always felt was a bit like that. A bit like the sleight of hand, bait and switch. A little bit of like, oh, look, I can read the words, but I don't think it's necessarily means what it says. The verse is in John 15, and, and Jesus says this as he's finishing his ministry and addressing the disciples at the Last Supper. And he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And the bit that always gets me is the, apart from me, you can do nothing. I've been thinking about it and it seems to me obviously wrong. Straight out wrong. And I think I might have shared on this before, but I'm here, I can do all sorts of things. I can pick up this and I can turn this page. And unless Jesus is like Matrix style, pulling the strings behind the scenes, then... It's me doing it, right? It's kind of complicated. I I think we can sometimes fall into this idea of doing nice theological things and maybe our understanding of it should be, I can do nothing that's of kingdom worth without Jesus. 
But it's a fair assessment, I think, and could be quite obviously taken from it and quite possibly is the right way of reading that passage. Or maybe it is the worldview thing and it's like, if everything is really held together by the power of his word and in him the whole world exists and has its being, then maybe I can't do this without him letting me do that. Maybe that's the way. It, is that though what he means by bearing fruit? So here's where I want to go to today. I want to unpack this a bit. I want to take this verse as our starting place. I want to work out whether this is a platitude or actually a foundation to build on as we go about sharing the reality of Jesus with others. Because if we're going to move forward in this journey of being compelled by love, then we've got to know that what we've got and how we give it is something authentic and real. So we are in week four of Compelled by Love. Hopefully you've been tracking along with us, but if you haven't, I'll give you a quick recap. In week one, we started out talking about the good news of Jesus and that he is a good news God, that he came to step into our lives and to set us free. And I hope as you've been journeying along, you've had the chance to start to think about why Jesus is good news for you. You know, that kind of, how do I in 30 seconds explain to someone why Jesus has made a difference in my life? It's such a powerful thing to clarify, even for yourself, just to know what Jesus has done for you. And if you haven't done it yet, there's no time like the present to practice. Then we moved on, we looked at, well, you know what? This whole good news comes because we are loved by God. That God first loved us and as a result of that, because he gave himself for us, Jesus came and died for us. He showed us what the ultimate act of love looked like. And so our good news story can always start and flow from our grounding in the perfect love of God. Last week, Pastor Ryan showed us that there is no person alive right now or who has ever lived that is not deeply loved by God that was not made in his image. And there is no one that God doesn't long to have a deep and abiding relationship with. So the reality is, effectively, everyone you meet today, yesterday, and every day for the rest of your life is a candidate for God's love. The Father heart of God is the driving factor. And so Pastor Ryan invited us to know the Father heart of God so that we would see everyone through the lens of his love for us. Because the ultimate goal at the end of this series is not that we just have more numbers for the sake of numbers or we do things so that we feel like we've ticked the box of our good Christian duty. At the end of this, my heart, our heart here, is that you have encountered God's love and know how to share that so that when God shows you his love for someone else, you know what to do, you know how to do it, and people would find life in him. They would find an experience of his love and would live eternally in relationship with him and alongside all of us who know him already. Let's pray. Jesus, as we unpack this, this verse and this idea today in this fourth week of our series, God, I know that you long for us to know your love. Jesus, you died so that we would experience your love. You rose again so that we could live out the true power of that love in this world. God, you died that all would have the opportunity to come to know you. So as we unpack this today, would you be with us? Holy Spirit, would you take these scriptures and would you open them afresh to us today? Would you help us to know you better? To live a life walking alongside you better? 
that we would learn what it means to do kingdom work in your presence and in your power. So we invite you to be with us today. Amen. So, John 15, 5. It's where we're going to pick up. Apart from abiding in Jesus, we cannot be fruitful. We can do nothing. I don't want to spend a lot of time exegeting that. I don't want to spend hours unpacking it, although we're on video so I could and you would just have to watch or fast forward later. But what I want to do is focus on the topic at hand. I want to talk about this verse in the context of reaching others with the good news of Jesus. So I'm going to step into a moment of super nerddom and we're going to look at the Greek of this passage, John 15, 5. I'm not going to read it to you in Greek, but this idea of apart from me, you can do nothing. What is he saying? So this is what the kind of, almost the literal wooden translation of the Greek brings us to. And it says something kind of like this. The one who remains in me and I in them, this one brings forth much fruit. Because apart from me, you have no power or ability to do nothing. Yes, Greek has double negatives and they mean to emphasize, it's not to contradict. But anyway, apart from me, you have powers to do nothing. Apart from me, you have no power. I'll come back to that power word in just a little bit, but for those of you playing along from earlier, the kingdom worth activity that could have been an interpretation of this verse, I think you're right, so it points to you so far if you're playing along at home, but we're talking about what our lives produce. So what does this mean in the context of relating and reaching out and loving others? Well, here's where the turn happens. So far in this series, we have in essence been talking about what needs to change in us in order to be effectively able and empowered to reach others. That we need to know God ourselves, that we need to encounter his love and that we need to see others with his eyes, with his father's heart. But the reality of the going out becomes critical at this point. Because if we don't do the first bit, we've got nothing to take. But if we don't move on from the first bit, no one ever gets reached. We've taken a detour really on the journey as we've gone through these last three weeks to really guide you through, as it were, the need to have what's going on internally all sorted out and touched and ordered by God so that we're effective in our outward efforts in the kingdom. Because the reality is, and this is where we find ourselves in these days and and in these weeks and months, that we find ourselves in a a post-Christian world, in in a secular culture and a secular context, where we see all sorts of different opportunities for all sorts of different organisations, but You know, churches don't always have the same opportunity. People of faith don't always have the same access. I grew up hearing it said by preachers and pastors and people of faith that everyone wants a king like Jesus. But when we look at secular culture and the secular morality, it seems actually, and I I think Mark Sayers for highlighting this, it seems more that people want the kingdom and its benefits, but they don't want the king in the middle of it. I think the phrase was kind of right back in the day. We wanted a king like Jesus, but we don't want Jesus. But why is that? Why don't people want Jesus in the middle of it, but they want all the benefits of the sanctity of life and the importance of the individual? Why do they want that? Well, the McCrindle research really, uh, some amazing research done into culture and faith, 
to simplify elements of it down to some really fundamental levels suggests that people who aren't part of a Christian community kind of think of us a bit like that magician I talked about earlier. Are they trustworthy or are they tricking me? Are they really just interested in my money or are they interested in me as a person? What's really behind these scenes? And I think the question comes down to how we maybe have represented God to others. How we've represented God to the people around us has formed for a lot of people deep divides, deep distrust and some really deep wounds. It's a common refrain I found when I talk to people where they say, well, I grew up in the church, but you know, I got hurt and I walked away. It makes sense that maybe people don't want a king like Jesus because I don't know that we've always done the best job of showing people what Jesus looks like. Jesus knew that this was going to be the case. He said in, earlier in, in John's gospel, but at the same moment, in that same meal as he's talking to his disciples, he says in, in John 13 that we should love each other as he has loved us because that's how people will know that we're his disciples and disciples model the life of the one who they follow. How well have we done that? That's why we've started with where we have in these first three weeks before today. Because if we get this part right, the encounter with God's love and the knowledge of his saving grace and what salvation in his kingdom looks like, then everything starts to fall into place. That's why today we get to the mechanism of fruit bearing because fruit in the power of God is something spectacular. Sometimes in the last few decades, in the last hundred years or so, the church has kind of moved maybe away from the supernatural and away from the otherworldliness of the good news of Jesus. Rodney Stark in his, his work on the, the rise of early Christianity noted that what's different today maybe about what was happening in those first few centuries of the church and what many modern theologians and thinkers have had to do is that they spent their time writing a theology and explaining the fact that we have belief in disbelief. We're expressing our faithlessness as faith. Again, I think maybe we've simply just misrepresented Jesus to the people around us. So we come back to that word in John 15, verse 5. Apart from me, you have power to do nothing. You are powerless, you are unable, you are not able to do anything. The, the Greek word dunamai is from the, the Greek noun dunamis, power. And it's an interesting word. He says, with no power, there's no fruit. So how do we get the power? Because if we want to bear fruit, if we really are followers of Jesus, we've decided that we want to point our life towards him and what he's called us to do. He said, I want you to go in a bear fruit, abide with me and bear fruit. But without that, you have no power. Well, helpfully, Jesus tells us how to get the power. If you read John's gospel and you're in John chapter 15, literally just a few more pages to the right and you get to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, verse eight answers the question. Jesus says, you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So to connect the dots, we encounter the love of God 
as evidenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have our own personal Pentecost moment. And the indwelling presence of God becomes the power that helps others encounter Jesus. It's actually pretty simple, right? You need the power, I'm going to give you the power. Win. This has really helped me. It significantly helped me and it shifted how, me personally how I've read what Jesus has given us to do, these commandments and these instructions and these things that he's left us as our mission statements and as our driving forces. It's actually for me, and, and maybe this is for some of you today as well, it lifted a burden off my shoulders. I felt this heavy weight of obligation and somewhere between guilt and condemnation about, do I reach out enough? I don't feel comfortable in this space. I don't necessarily want to do that. Yet I feel like I truly love Jesus. But then I read some of the writings that says, if you love God and not others, do you really love God? And I felt really confused and frustrated and kind of lost. There's no joy in it. There was power sometimes, but I realized something really important that these things come together. The Holy Spirit is God's indwelling presence with us. He is the power that helps us bear fruit. So what shifted for me is as I read Matthew 28 again, it kind of clicked for me. And I want to read you that passage again right now. It's central to this series and it's central to the life of any church. And this is what Jesus said in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now there's so much in there. I'd love to spend time unpacking. We can worship him but still have doubts. But so what we're here today, what I want to do is unpack what really touched my life and really at a certain level just set me really free. Jesus says go. And I remember growing up in church, I pretty much took that as off you go. Go and do the stuff, the good stuff. And I have the authority to tell you to go because I'm in charge now. It kind of makes me think of like in the Gospels where he sends the disciples out. He sends the 70 out in pairs. Go in pairs and do all this stuff. Come back and tell me what happens. And that's kind of what I felt like it was like for me. I was supposed to go and have a go, see if I did any good, come back to home base where Jesus was waiting for me, tell him how I was going, fill him in on how it went. And I mean, you know, I love him, he loves me. All of this should be fine, right? But the reality was I was terrified I didn't know what to say. I didn't think I knew what to say. I didn't have confidence and faith. I had this chronic imposter syndrome and growing up I was terrified of public speaking. So talking to a stranger on the street couldn't have been anything worse. That was it for me. Maybe for you it's the opposite. Maybe you just love talking to strangers and you're like, I'm off, I can do this. I've got this covered. It's, it's my ability to do this. But what my revelation was and is and continues to be is that Jesus didn't send me out into the world to have a go and is sitting back in the church waiting for me to come and report back and tell him how I went. Share my stories or my failures and hopefully not make him upset. The reality is Jesus said, go and I will be with you. 
The reality is, Jesus is with me, not waiting for me to report back, but walking alongside me until the very end of the age. Surely he is with me always. Behold, he says, check it out, I'm right with you. That's why I think he said, just a little bit earlier back in John's gospel, it's better that I go, it's better that I leave because I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit to be with you, the one that, that Paul calls the spirit of Jesus in Acts. I'm sending him to be with you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not gonna forsake you. I'm gonna be with you, but I can't do it when I'm here in the flesh. I'm gonna send my spirit so that I can be with all of you all the time. The revelation that I don't go and share on my own and hope that I get it right has totally changed my perspective. I don't need to be scared. I don't need to do anything out of religious obligation or guilt or coercion. I don't need to use obligation or guilt or coercion to encourage you to go and share or to help someone say yes to Jesus. What Jesus, I think, envisaged as he commanded, as he suggested, as he propelled us to go, as he said, go and make disciples. I think what he imagined was, I want to walk with you every day. I want to walk right beside you as you go to your family and to your workplace and the places where you rest and enjoy life. I want to walk with you in every way, right beside you, helping you make better choices, decisions that reflect my goodness and glory. He wanted our life and so our reaching of others to be a natural Holy Spirit activity that happens just a part of our everyday walk. So that's all fine. That's great if that's what the Bible says, but how do we know what that looks like? Well, Jesus is the first picture we have. He's, he's the model. What was his example? Well, we have the Gospels that are super helpful to read. Take the chance to read them if you haven't yet. It's amazing to just read the life of Jesus, to hear his words and see his actions and, and to get the touch of his heart as you see what he prioritizes in his life. But we have other places that are super helpful summaries in scripture as well. And I want us now to turn to Hebrews chapter two. And Hebrews two is a, a beautiful passage that just after Jesus is, is presented to the readers as the, the fullest expression of God revealed in the Son as the highest reality of all realities. The author steps into this in chapter two. Verse one, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or dis disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The good news of God's kingdom that brings salvation for all humanity was declared first by Jesus, backed up, attested to it said, with signs and wonders and gifts distributed by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus spoke of and demonstrated the reality of God's kingdom and we know that everything he did from John 5, he did it at the leading and the prompting and in response to the Father. And then the followers of Jesus did the same. The book of Acts is an amazing account of this. Signs, 
wonders and various dunamises, miracles, wonders, powerful deeds and the gifts of the Holy Spirit work through us. This is how they did it. The dunamis that they needed was the dunamis they received and it was the dunamis they used. And people gave their lives to Jesus. They asked literally like in Philippi, what must I do to be saved? But there's some things that come unstuck for us and and I I can hear the inner monologue for some of you right now because it was my inner inner monologue for a lot of years. That's fine, but I don't do things like that. I've got a different gift. I think of things differently. And I think some common language might help us get a little bit closer to pursuing a common goal and having a common heart, a unified heart that will help us see a mighty harvest come into God's kingdom. So we need to define the working of the Holy Spirit as supernatural. Anything that the supernatural, anything, sorry, that the Holy Spirit does is supernatural because the Holy Spirit himself is supernatural because God is supernatural. And when I say supernatural, it's because God is other than this material world. He's in it, but he's not confined by it. He's above it. He's outside of it. He's beyond it. He's beyond what the secular culture calls our our natural world. So anything that God does as outside of this coming in is supernatural. Signs, wonders, and various dunamises, miracle working powers, they are always supernatural because it's God stepping in through us into this world. But where we get unstuck is that we equal, we equate supernatural with spectacular. And that's not always the case. Sometimes there are amazing, unexplainable, visible things that happen, radical deliverances from demonic oppression. People get literally delivered out of slavery. People have addictions broken and things are never the same. Sometimes bodies are healed. Sometimes the dead are raised. Sometimes the stuff that Jesus said in Matthew 10 happens. He says, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without paying. Spectacular supernatural events. But there's so much that happens that doesn't look spectacular, but is entirely supernatural. The prophetic word of encouragement that you give, the ministering of peace to someone else, the walking with someone through hard times when you could be somewhere else, the sacrificial generosity of giving of your material needs when you don't have to. The reality is that these are actually against our human nature. Our default is selfishness. And and I'm talking about supernatural things that aren't spectacular and not just what's become the cultural norm. Well, it's now cool to volunteer. And so volunteering is what I do. That doesn't make it supernatural. I'm talking about God-inspired, directed activities that God uses to bring about God fruit in people's lives. Because our natural inclination is not to pursue those things. So if we do that, if we understand that, that any God activity is supernatural, but not all of it is spectacular, but all of it is valuable because it bears fruit, then we can help redefine some other things as we move forward. We can start to divide uh, our reaching out into things that God can do, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, and then we can start to define our outreach as things that I can do. Well, I can tell people about the kingdom of God. 
we start to go, that's the supernatural stuff. You do it, God, and I'll do this bit. But the reality is none of it is actually of value unless it's bearing supernatural empowerment from God. The Holy Spirit's got to do it. If it's not a spirit-drenched activity, I don't think it's going to bear God fruit. So what does that mean? As we declare and demonstrate, like in that Matthew 10 passage, what does it mean? Well, the demonstrate is all that supernatural stuff. It's the spectacular and it's the unseen that is all supernatural. The Hebrew said this is how people experience and understand the good news to be true. And we declare as well, we tell people what just happened or what is about to happen. And we know from Jesus' words in Luke 12, that when we are required to declare the reality of Jesus' good news, we don't have to worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say in that moment. Even the act of declaring the good news of Jesus is a Holy Spirit-empowered activity. Explaining the what and the why of God activity comes from words empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we follow his lead. There's a reason we're taking time to build and explore this background, this forming part of reaching others. And it's not about a formula, although there's plenty of good ones and you can learn one if you want, but it's actually the process leads us to abiding, to relationship, to fruitfulness. And that's where the power comes. Again, let's look at the life and the style of Jesus. We see him spending three years with these disciples. He takes them from various stages of obedience and relationship with God to one where they're trained and taught and they have an abiding presence of God dwelling in them. There were whole groups of people that followed along behind Jesus that listened to his teaching that received healing from his hands and miracles of food and all sorts of things. We can't really build one single model of reaching others from the life of Jesus. What we see is someone who openly acknowledged the daily leading of God and all that he did. He's someone who spent time developing an intimate relationship with the Father and with those around him. He constantly spoke of God in every relationship, never missing the opportunity to point out the reality of the Father. And he still took the moments to stop on the way somewhere and do those spectacular, amazing things where people were healed and delivered. People that he didn't know, he stopped and followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. We don't miss those things. We never play off God's word to the stranger against God's word to our family about the, what he wants to do with someone I've never met. But we stay in a place of hearing his words and following his heart. When he says, love that person and pray for their healing, we do it. When he says, sit and let that person talk, we obey. Because the reality is, those one-off spectacular moments are amazing, but the research and most of our own personal stories bear the reality that we came to know Jesus because someone took the time to love us well. That someone walked alongside us. And God has entrusted each one of us with a front line. People that he loves people that he has carefully placed right in the lives of you, me and you. People that we can declare and demonstrate his love to. We get the opportunity to be used anywhere, anytime, with anyone, and there are a bunch of anyones that you know, that you see every day that he's called you to love. And he wants to bring fruit of his kingdom in their lives too. So that's fine. And what it requires of us then is a life of obedience to follow Jesus 
in step with his Holy Spirit. He's placed you here and now for that reason. So what if, and here's the question I want to pose to you, what if we started our day with the question, where are you going today, Jesus, with me? Where are we going today? What if you started your day with the question, Holy Spirit, what's on your plan for me today? What would change? What would look different? What would it look like to spend time stopping long enough to hear his voice instead of just deciding to fill in the blanks for ourselves? I know it's a little bit safer for us to fill in the blanks, but we miss the opportunity to see what God wants to do in our daily lives. I don't know, some of you will go, well, I I don't hear his voice like that. Well, you know, learning to hear God's voice and to communicate with him, it's a lifelong journey. It's a relationship. That's why he calls it abiding with him. We take time to do it. You don't have to get it all right today or tomorrow. We start a journey. We learn how to understand and hear. We learn how to give and receive love with the Father and with others. It changes through our seasons of life. So today you might be really new in your relationship with Jesus and you're full of passion and fire. Maybe you've walked with him for 40 years and the way that he's speaking to you now is nothing like he spoke to you in your early days of your relationship with him. But my question is, what does his voice sound like to you? If apart from him, we have power to do nothing and he gave us that power when his Holy Spirit took up residence in our lives when we said yes to Jesus as our Lord. And he's speaking to us, he promises it. He said, my my sheep hear my voice. What does his voice sound like to you? If you're not used to hearing his voice each day as you pray, then take time to hear his voice in scripture. Read, Read the gospels, read John chapter 13 to 17, where Jesus is just talking, sharing his heart with his disciples before he leaves. Get used to hearing his voice. And then walk your day knowing that there is God fruit when there's God awareness in your life. Practice. You've got to have a go. It's all theory until we have the chance to share it. And let me tell you, it can feel scary or sometimes it's natural. And you, it's like you turn a corner and all of a sudden you're talking about the goodness of Jesus. The worst that can happen if, is, if you go with love, that someone gets loved. Have a go. See what happens when you talk about the love that God's poured into your life. And don't forget this, just as we wrap this up now. Don't forget this, that if you're in a relationship with Jesus, then he's already worked powerful, dunamis things in your life. He's already worked powerfully in you. He saved you. He loved you when you probably didn't love yourself or maybe loved yourself way too much. He's forgiven you. He's transformed your heart. He's made it a hard heart, a loving, soft one. Maybe he's healed your body or your mind or that same heart. There's a reason that you're at church today, no matter where you are and no matter how you're listening. There's a reason you're here. Either you said yes to Jesus and you know you need to be in his presence. Maybe you came looking for answers for why Jesus is good news. Or maybe you're here because someone has been bothering you with that link to watch church online for so long you had to click it and watch. But regardless of why you're here, 
Jesus is good news today for you. For some of you, he wants you to share that good news. For others of us, he wants you to know that good news today. The good news of Jesus is that when he abides with us, our lives will be fruitful and valuable and meaningful for each and every one of us. And it touches our world as we're compelled by his love. So I want to take a moment now to pray. Firstly, I just want to pray for you. Maybe you're that person who's, who's watching today and you don't know Jesus yet, but you came looking for answers or you came to satisfy the love of a friend who's been asking you to watch. Maybe you're here for that reason. And maybe the Lord's been touching your heart today. Maybe he's been stirring a question in the back of your mind. Maybe you're strangely moved and you don't know why. Well, the reality is someone has been filled with his miracle working power and love and has been reaching out and praying for you. And so I would love to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus. So if that's you today, if maybe your heart's beating a little bit faster, if maybe all of a sudden everything else has gone quiet and you can't seem to take your eyes off the screen and your mind away from the reality of this Jesus who seems to be good news, then what he's doing is he's inviting you to give your life to him. And that means we... We decide that we can't run our life ourselves anymore and we invite him by his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in our lives. We give him permission to help us put away the brokenness and sin of the things that we chose before him and let life, abundant joy, hope and love flood into our lives. So if that's you today, I'd love to lead you in a prayer right now. If that's not you today, I don't want you to go yet. Hang about because I would like to pray for you as well. But today, if you need to meet Jesus, let me pray for you right now. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for those who want to give their lives to you. I thank you that you're stirring something in those lives. And right now, I just want to pray for those people. But if you're one of those people, would you pray with me? I'm going to pray your words for you. And would you just pray along with me and agree? Jesus, I choose to invite you into my life. Jesus, I choose to put you in charge, to give you the say and the control of my life. I choose to make you Lord of my life. I choose to hand that over to you right now. God, I choose to step away from the brokenness and the sinfulness that defined my life. I turn my back on those ways and I choose to face you. Jesus, I welcome you into my life today. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, come and dwell in me right now? Holy Spirit, fill me afresh as I've given my life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. If that was you today, then I'd love you to take the opportunity to respond now. Wherever you're watching, if it's online, there's a, an opportunity to respond. Follow the link. And there's people standing by who can also pray for you. And we want to help you explore what it means to follow Jesus with your life. But for those of you who already walk with him, I want to pray for you that this week will be a radically different week for you, that you're aware of his presence as you step out every day, that you would go with Jesus and that you would bear much fruit because his power lives within you.
Let me pray for you right now. Jesus, I thank you for those who have said yes to your name, those who are walking with you. And God, I ask right now for the revelation you placed on my life, that you would place it on theirs even in this moment, that they would know, Holy Spirit, that you are near, that you are close. You will not leave them nor forsake them and that every step they take in any given day, Lord, they go with you in partnership with you. And Jesus, we don't want to leave you as the wallflower at the school dance. Holy Spirit, we don't want to exclude you and make you the third wheel or the fifth wheel. We want to make you our partner in life. So where we have excluded you and ignored you, we just say sorry right now. Where we've lived in fear and guilt, we repent of those things, we turn them back to you. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would come and fill us afresh and that you give us an acute awareness this week that we walk hand in hand with you. Would you give us the boldness and the courage and remind us to daily ask you, what do you want to do today, God? As I'm compelled by your love, Jesus, where are we going today? And how can I love the people that you've put in my front line? Holy Spirit, would you fill me with your miracle working power that supernatural fruit might abound and people might come to know you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.